Well, it wasn't a great day in the horseshoe. We're going to find out just how not great it might be moving forward with the scheme master himself, Kyle Jones. Welcome to the 11 Dubcast. I'm co-host Andy Vance along with Johnny Ray Genter. And without much introduction at all, I want to want to bring on our guest for the program. We're going to spend the bulk of the time discussing Ohio State's dismal defensive performance against the Oregon Ducks. The dismal defensive performance that doomed what I think might have otherwise been a pretty interesting matchup between two teams that brought a lot of talent to the table, a lot of offensive firepower, and ultimately drew down just to a score at high noon in the shoe. Kyle Jones, um, I, I read your film study this week at 11warriors.com, and if the audience hasn't done so, I highly encourage them to go back and do so. They should do that every week, but in this case in particular, because you pose the big question of uh, just how badly outcoached was Ohio State uh, offensive coordinator Joe Moorhead from Oregon, as I noted in our debriefing, not only took Kerry Combs' defense to school, but he picked their pocket, took their lunch money, and stole their girlfriend for good measure. Was I being over the top, or when you went back and watched the film, were things as bad as we all felt they were, you know, venting through our feelings on social media Saturday night? Uh, it was it was pretty bad. I'm not going to lie. Uh, it, it was not great to watch the second time through. In fact, uh, you know, I'm joking with some other uh, analysts uh, on Twitter today, uh, national and otherwise. It, the second watch might have actually been worse than the first, to be totally candid. And, and I say that because given your analogy of taking his lunch money, in a lot of ways, Kerry Combs said the money's over there. Just there it is. <laughs> <laughs> You can see it. I'm not going to go over there and hold it. The, the money was on the left you. side of the field, in other words, right? <laughs> yes, correct. And, and it was very, it was evident. And it's, it was almost mind-blowing to watch it happen uh, a second time. Obviously, in the moment, you know, things happened fast. It was, it was very quick. Uh, it was a great game. But look, let's start here also. Joe Moorhead did his job very well. He, that, that guy can coach. There's a reason that he was an SEC head coach. There's a reason he will be a head coach of a big program again soon. I'm pretty confident in that. He better not take the UConn job for his own sanity and well-being, but there's going to be a good job open that he's going to end up taking. And, and sooner rather than later, we're all going to be thinking, oh, yeah, this guy this guy is actually legit. And, and maybe what happened on Saturday in, in the horseshoe in hindsight, isn't quite as embarrassing, uh, but I mean that guy. They, they, he really came with a great game plan. He knew exactly what Ohio State was going to do, but that's partly because Ohio State has been telling everyone, "This is what we're going to do for two and a half seasons now." You know, where this is this is a scheme, and and you know, I will say it's entertaining to me a little bit. You know, uh, I feel a little bit like Eleven Warriors chief medical examiner. Uh, that's really my job here uh, is, you know, I get, uh, yeah, right. yeah, like, is exactly like I get, I, no one wants to talk to the scheme guy when Ohio state wins by 50. Right. Then we want to talk about recruiting. We want to talk about the traditions. We want to talk about all the other stuff, but when Ohio state loses, let's go talk to the scheme guy. So, and I'm happy to do it, but uh, well, I mean, you know, maybe I'm, not happy. <laughs> <laughs> right. But you, you get where I'm going here. And, 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 and part of it is I cannot believe how many, uh, you know, experts have shown up in the last 48 hours in single high defense. It's pretty amazing to see that out of nowhere for a fan base that didn't really always show that much interest in scheme. All of a sudden, everybody's an expert in, in single high versus two high, what kind of coverages to run. And part of that's because 
it was so evident that Ohio State just they're the most static defense in the country. And I'm, I'm not being that's not hyperbole. This is a defense that when you compare it to literally any other defense in the country, they do less schematically. I'm not I'm not joking. They do less schematically than so, anybody else. But why is that then? Why? I mean, obviously yeah. you've got they've got a system. They, they know what they want to do, but that doesn't you know, other teams have that. That doesn't prevent them yeah. from being creative. Why does Ohio State say this is exactly who we are? And we're not going to deviate it from it one bit. Well, that it, it goes back a little bit. And I touch on the piece. It, it's let's, let's zoom out really, really broadly and talk about kind of a sport at large for a few minutes because we're on a podcast. And, you know, if you think about pro and college football over the last decade, uh, while in college we have this uh, transition straight into the spread, right? 15 years ago, we started seeing read options. There's own reads and we started seeing more. And then five years or so after that, so maybe 10 years ago, we started seeing really these super spread passing games and RPOs really starting to become a bigger part of the game. And it really became spread out. And in the NFL, that's really only happened in the last four or five years. Those, those super spread elements, right? Now you can watch an NFL game and you see a lot of the same stuff. You know what the chiefs are, the chiefs are in our college offense with Superman playing quarterback, but it's still a college offense. You know, schematically. Right. And, you know, so that was happening at a different time and different plays. And, and so because of that with the NFL, Pete Carroll kind of lucked into that legion of boom, cover one, cover three, the single high system that Ohio State's still running. And what I mean there is, you know, he was not a single high disciple. Pete's a defensive guy, been in the league for a long time, obviously had those great teams at USC. Those teams at USC did not run this defense. They were running Monty Kiffin's Tampa two, two deep safety, you know, the same thing the Buccaneers ran in the early 2000s. Well, Pete goes to Seattle, um, you know, drafts essentially ends up with the greatest free safety of all time. You know, the perfect cover three safety uh, gets a couple shutdown corners, has a super deep defensive line that can all of a sudden rush the passer with just rush with just sending four. And if you ask any defensive coach, what would you love to be able to run on every play? They're going to say that they're going to say, I'm going to lock you down on the corners. I'm going to let my free safety fix everything. I don't have to send a blitz ever. So my linebackers can stop the run. That's ideally like in a perfect world what a defensive coordinator wants to do. And Seattle had the dudes to make that work. You know, they went to the Super Bowl one year, or I'm sorry, they won it. They go back the next year. But then you started to see as those guys started to move off the roster, you know, you started to see these assistants from Pete's tree going other places and not having the same success because they didn't have those, that talent in the secondary or that pass rush up front. And so you started to think, you know, even still today, there are still a bunch of teams in the NFL, the Dallas Cowboys, perfect example. They keep trying to make this thing work by running that cover, you know, that single high scheme. Um, but even today, Pete Carroll, the guy who kind of made his name on this professionally, his defense isn't running it that often, or they're, they're still running single high schemes, but they're mixing it up. They've got to run two high schemes. They know they can't just throw the fastball every single play. Right. And, and that this defense never really happened at the college level because it's exactly the defense that RPOs were meant to take advantage of. Option football was meant to beat this defense. This is the defense that every team in the 90s ran. This is what Joe Paterno's defenses 
you know, the, the ones that we don't talk about very often anymore, but they were very good at their time. You know, this is what they ran. They ran this cover three, we're gonna put our free safety in the middle of the field and we're gonna shut down the run. We are, we're gonna bet on our corners and that you just don't have a guy that can make us make the kick back and hurt us. And so college offenses responded with the option game. And so this, this system never really took off in college the way it took off in the pros. And in 2019, Ryan Day gets his first head coaching job, hires Jeff Halfley, says, I want to run that single high system. You know, he says it's the one that, that he had the most trouble with when he was a play caller. I think he looked at his looked at that locker room and said, I've got Chase Young. I've right. got studs in the secondary. I don't need to do anything else. I'm not going to screw this up by have by out scheming. I'm going to let those guys go win all the time. They're better than everybody else in the Big Ten. Fine, go. And it worked. And I think for a whole season, everyone looked at, at that 2019 team and said, wait, they're really just going to do this? They're just going to do it? And to be clear, that's on first and second down. It's as vanilla as possible. And the changeup is when you get the third down, and I, and I haven't admittedly dug in as much for some of the 11 Warriors readers that probably should have here. They do a lot of stuff schematically on third down. They bring a lot of different blitzes. They bring a bunch of different packages. Uh, they use form, you know, formations and personnel uniquely, but they don't do that on those early downs. They really just save that for third and long. The goal is we're gonna we're gonna stuff the run so well that eventually you're gonna get in third and long, and then you're gonna be terrified of the pass rush coming your way. And that's fine. But without Chase Young, that pass rush isn't as exciting. And without those corners without Okuda and Arnett and without, you know, Jordan, Jordan Fuller really being the kind of eraser who makes everyone look okay. What you saw was what we've seen the last year and a half now is, or, you know, I guess it's nine games that we think or 10 games we think about last season, plus the first two of this year, we're seeing a lot of leaks because opponents are going, all right, if that's what you're going to run, we've got the schemes that we know how to, we know how to attack those. We know how to beat that. And so now what we have to get to is a place where, Ohio State's throwing the changeup, to use the baseball analogy, right? You know, mm -hmm. I wrote early in the offseason, you know, Nolan Ryan's the strikeout king. And what does everyone know what Nolan Ryan for? His fastball, right? That dude was just throwing gas until his 40s. He was throwing, touching the 90s all the time. You know, one of the hardest throwers of all time. But it only worked because he had a changeup and a curveball, right? right. It, it wasn't because he threw the fastball every single play. He had those other pitches to keep him off balance just enough so that he could rely on his fastball. And well, we just aren't seeing anything but fastballs. But in, and to your point, though, like, he also walked a ton of dudes, right? Like, any scheme <laughs> – he, seriously, though, like, any scheme, anything is going to have its deficiencies. It's going to have right. issues that are going to require adjustments. And I think that's mm -hmm. what's so frustrating when you're watching games where Ohio State – even games that Ohio State's winning, you're like, it's the same problem over and over. I mean, how many times did Oregon run the same play – to the boundary with yep. like and getting first down the touchdown. Like it's not, it's not that they're playing poorly. It's that they're playing poorly in the same exact way over and over and well, over again. Well, I would actually argue that this is, this is an even wor more worrisome effort that, on, that happened on Sunday. I had the exact same feelings coming out of a game um, before the, my second viewing. And after my, after I went re really rewatched it, I'm actually more worried about something else. And, okay. and that is the preparation. Because look, you can be successful running that scheme. If you play that and you execute it well, it can work, especially against an RPO offense that doesn't have dudes that can attack you and beat you downfield. 
mm-hmm. which this offense did not. Let's be very clear here. Anthony Brown played a great game, but he wasn't attacking downfield by any stretch of no. imagination. And one of the best ways to defend RPOs is with man coverage, and that's fine. The problem was it looked like that you know the secondary, the linebackers had never even seen some of these concepts. You know, we're talking about basic run plays, simple RPOs that how are they looking so confused? They look like they'd never seen them. And, you know, you, you mentioned it was the same play. I give Joe, Joe Moorhead credit. He actually ran three versions of that crack sweep, right, or on the left side that everyone's upset about. Yeah. The thing is, he didn't even need to, I don't think. He could have <laughs> run right. the exact same play. He probably <laughs> He's probably kicking himself down going, why did I unveil all those other wrinkles? They couldn't stop it the first two times. You know, let's just keep running it back. And that, to me, is honestly the, the most worrisome element. You know, I remember – seeing a, a, you know, a clinic with Matt Barnes, uh, not this past winter, but the winter before. So, you know, coming out of the 2019 season, uh, you know, he was coming out to talk to, I believe it was at the Ohio high school coaches. It was a, it was a zoom clinic. Um, so every, a lot more people could attend and he was really talking about this system. And I remember talking to a bunch of high school coaches who were really kind of surprised that this is what Ohio state's selling. This is what mm-hmm. they're taking to their, you know, to, to Ohio, to Ohio high school coaches and yep, this is what we do. And one of the things that he said, he goes, yeah, I know this is simple. This is not, you know, this is not trigonometry. It's not rocket science. You know, there are ways to beat this system, but what we do as a team is we, we rep the heck out of it. You know, we make sure we study the film of our opponent. We say, these are the route concepts. These are the run game things that we're going to see. And we're just going to practice the heck out of it. So even if we're in this coverage or that coverage, we just know what we're supposed to do. And watching that game, especially the second time through, that was not the sense I certainly had, you know, of watching what Ohio State's defense was doing. And I think that's the most worrisome part if you're an Ohio State fan right now is going, can they even get this team ready to play against decent competition? Now, it's not going to matter for the next few weeks just to the level of, of who they're playing. Um, you're probably going to see the vanilla single high safety, and that's fine. They're still going to win because no one's going to be able to block those guys up front. They're not going to be able to execute, you know, Tulsa, Akron, Rutgers at the level that Oregon did. They don't have C.J. Burdell necessarily making moves in, in the open field. So I don't expect it to, to creep up anytime soon. But when we get back, when we get to later in the season of Penn State, we get to, you know, some of the other late season games. The team up north is looking functional in some ways. So, you know, who, who, who is that team that's going to make this more difficult? And, and maybe it really is. It's just going to be Iowa or someone from the West in the big 10 championship that really is the first one to, to make this defense work again. I, Kyle, you know, when I was watching the game and, and writing the debriefing this week, I mean, I, I, I laid this at the feet of, of the defensive staff and particularly the, defensive coordinator because a lot of the reasons that you've outlined and then when I read your film study I kind of like you just outlined I was mad for a whole different reason because of that preparation piece and and you made I think really really important point Ohio State has a legion of defensive analysts quality control coaches I mean it's not like it's one guy that's solely responsible for there's there's a whole staff dedicated to making sure those players are prepared 
and and I watched an interesting conversation. You have a couple of former players, uh, Joshua Perry and and uh, uh, Tyvis Powell, were talking about, it, and they made the point. You know, it's not the scheme. Quit because fans jumped on the scheme, right? Like you said, there's mm-hmm. boatload of experts suddenly in uh, in a single high safety defense, and and you know it's not the scheme. Halfway, Coach Halfway ran this <laughs> to great effect when he was here. So, I mean, is it that simple that, hey, we just don't have an army of first rounders to execute this this thing? Or or is there a reason that Ryan Day and the staff are like clinging to this so stubbornly? I guess I'm just flummoxed that you have yeah. what seems to be like a complete and total breakdown of the, the most basic scheme imaginable, poorly executed by guys who apparently aren't quite up to the elite standard talent-wise that what we've seen in the last X number of years. I, it just seems like, is it really that simple? You know, it, it's, it's what breaks my brain a little bit is the philosophical angle. Again, not, not the schemes itself saying, you know, this covered is better than that or this formation or alignment or personnel. It's the, the overall philosophy of Ohio State's defense is nothing like the philosophy we've seen from the offense. And I think that's the most surprising thing to me. And what, what I mean by that is, you know, ever, anyone who's ever heard Ryan Day talk really about scheme. Um, and I, you know, I, I vividly remember going to the Ohio state coaches clinic in 2017 when he had just been hired, you know, he was just coming in to coach quarterbacks at the point at that point. And, you know, I sat there, he had a, a 30 minute chalk talk where you could just go up to him and ask him any question you want. He had a whiteboard. There were probably 20 some high school coaches just asking him everything from mechanics to philosophy to everything. And I just remember thinking this guy is sharp as a tack. I could not have been more impressed in that short amount of time. And then when he became head coach and you hear about his philosophy, which is start with the guys you've got and play to their strengths. Okay. Then I'm going to do, I'm not going to actually try to do too many things. You know, that's the funny thing about Ohio state's offense is as dynamic as it is and as explosive as it is. It's not that it's simple, but they pretty much run the same stuff every game. You know, they're, they're just dressing it up in different ways with formations, with personnel, with pre-snap motions, with shifts, with, uh, you know, the, the check with me, which I, it kills me every time the fans get upset, but, you know, that, that CJ Stroud looks to the sideline because it's you let Ryan Day make a decision right. here. Like, if there's one dude who you should feel safe in, let him make a call based on what he's seeing. And, uh, you know, that's almost the opposite of what we're seeing from the defense, which is stick to the scheme, regardless of who's there. Don't dress it up. Don't try to mimic or make your opponent confused. Don't try to, you know, deceive in that essence. Look, there's only so many coverages and so many ways you can really defend in football. So it's not like anybody's going to come up with anything really new anyway. You know, everybody's running variations of what Nick Saban and Bill Belichick came up with 30 years ago. That's pretty much 90% of football at this point. And so it's not about, you know, one scheme better than the others, but it's how do you disguise and keep the other, keep the other team, you know, off balance. And the Ohio state offense is phenomenal at keeping the other team off balance and disguising what they're intending to do. Even if it's the same thing they've done a million times and the defense is going, no, no, no. We're playing man, playing cover one. Not I'm going to try to hide it. Not, not even going to try to make it, a, you know, we're just letting you know guys. So that's, that's what, that's what blows my mind a little bit is, is that there just seems to be such a disconnect between those two things. 
Well, I think the assumption though is, is that Ohio State, I mean, let's all of that's true, right? We we can say that not good preparation, scheme-wise, all this other stuff. But if you're an Ohio State fan, you're a casual Ohio State fan, you're like, all right, I'm gonna turn this game on on Saturday. I feel that I could rest easy in the idea that Ohio State's players the actual personnel on the field are so much better than their opponent that they can prepare poorly scheme, not great, all that other stuff and still be much more competitive than what we saw on Saturday. Is there a situation where at a certain point you have to look at the people on the field and go, you know what, maybe, maybe they really have to try something radical because the the players aren't quite up to the billing that we thought they would be like, is this, is this yeah. really maybe, is this in part a talent issue? I guess is what I'm asking. Well, I, I think you can actually, you, you can ask that question. I think if you look and look, I'm not a recruiting guy. I'm not going to pretend to be a recruiting guy. Uh, you know, I don't know what necessarily every recruiting philosophy was, but if you look at the last three or four seasons and you look at who Ohio state has brought in, if you look at every one of their top defensive recruits over that period, they've all been defensive line. And you know, it, it, that's, that's great that you wanted to, and so our point earlier about, you know, you want to have those pass rushers, you want to have those special guys that can break the pocket. That is recruiting to your scheme in that sense. But if you look at the safety recruiting, the cornerback recruiting, the linebacker recruiting, those are not five-star top 50 guys. You know, most of them aren't even top 100 guys. And now when you've got a situation where there's a depth issue, where Cam Brown's still not 100%, we don't know what seven banks hasn't played a snap. Josh right. Proctor was just lost for the season. The highest rated recruit, I believe of anyone in the defensive backfield. Right. Well, now it might actually be a talent issue because the difference between those guys and the guys at Wisconsin or Penn state, um, you know, maybe even Indiana now, given some of the, the stars they have on offense, it's not as great as it was when it was, you know, again, two, five, you know, a bunch of five-star corners out there, uh, you know, Chase Young, and et cetera. And so I, I do think you sort of ask yourself eventually, okay, well, where is the talent? Where is the strength from a, a personnel standpoint of that unit? Um, you know, and I, I'm very curious to see if they're willing to say, we're still going to be a single high team. And I don't mean to pick on them, but with Bryson Shaw playing every down in the middle of the field, you know, he didn't have a great game when he was on the field, uh, you know, at, before and after Proctor got hurt. Uh, you know, this guy who didn't really look like he was ready for that role in that type of game. You know, do they go back out and say, nope, this is our guy. We're going to put him in the middle and play and have him play center field and we feel good about it. I don't know if you can feel as confident about those things. So you've got several weeks, as you mentioned earlier, before you're going to get into a part of the schedule where, you're dealing with teams that could conceivably give Ohio state some fits. It ain't going to be Tulsa. They opened as 31 point favorites. Then we agree on that. And as you say, Akron, despite being a night game is not going to be a close contest. And yeah. Probably not Rutgers either. Uh, though I hate to uh, hate to speak ill of future USC head coach, Greg Schiano. Um, <laughs> my question is, can they turn this thing around for a given quantity of turn this thing around? And if so, if you were suddenly defensive coordinator, Kyle Jones, uh, and Ryan day calls you up and says, damn, I screwed the pooch on this. Help me out, brother. What do you, what do you do? How do you get this thing to a place where you're not the laughing stock of the entire football bowl subdivision? Yeah, I, I think it does start. And, and look, I haven't been as big on the, 
the, the, the personnel rotations are the, are the root of the problem uh, as, as others have. I don't think it's helped, but I do think you got to eventually figure out who, who are your guys and they can be different. You know, you can have different linebackers in there on nickel sets. That's okay. You can have, uh, you know, certain, you know, Sam linebacker is going to play in this situation versus the bullet versus the coverage. You, that's fine. But you got to figure out who those guys are. I think especially you got to figure out who your middle linebacker is first and foremost. Is it Tommy Eichenberg? Is it Cody Simon? Uh, you know, it seems like Taraja is, is the, the will linebacker, but Steel Chambers is getting a surprising amount of snaps for a guy who was playing running back not that long ago. Um, that's a little concerning. Um, you know, there's some other guys, uh, Sam, who are getting rotations. And, and the same for your defensive backs now. I think especially in the defensive backfield, they got to figure out who's going to play. Now, Denzel Burke, they've got to be thrilled that they found that kid. Uh, you know, we talk about, you know, just talking about the, the defensive back recruiting and, and what the talent was, not a top hundred kid, not, not necessarily somebody I think even Buckeye fans were that excited about that dude's playing more than Jack Sawyer or JTT. So you can get excited about five stars or whatnot, but that dude's playing well. He played very well on Saturday. Um, you know, he, he showed out as he had to keep up a couple early catches against Minnesota, but you know, really rebounded nicely in the second half of that game. And that's a guy who played, I think, every snap for the most part uh, on defense last Saturday. So that's a guy you can you can say pretty confidently he's going to be out there. Um, when you get the injuries from seven and, and Cam Brown, uh, you know, is, is Cavazos one of the guys that's gonna, that you really want to be playing this season? Unclear. He didn't have a great game on Saturday. Um, so you just start to figure out, first and foremost, who are the guys? And then you double down and make sure that those guys are prepared. You can keep your scheme. I don't think we want to be in a position necessarily where, where they're trying to install something new uh, in the middle of the season. That was that was really what kind of got Ohio State in trouble. That last year with Greg Schiano was, you know, it started off very similarly. Obviously, it wasn't an early loss, but there were very evidently issues with the defense that season, as we all recall. Uh, and what they ended up doing was trying to install stuff on the fly. And that's really, really, really hard. Uh, so what I'd be thinking of if I'm Ohio state is, all right, if we're just going to play man, we're going to play cover one and we're going to play cover three, we're going to be the best damn team at those best damn team in the country playing cover one and cover three. We're just going to do it. Um, and then you start to figure out, okay, when you start to amp up pressure a little bit more, they don't run a lot. They don't, they don't get, send a lot of blitzes on early downs. And maybe that's a place where you start to play around a little bit more you know, when and, and how often and from where are you sending blitzes? Can you be unpredictable in that sense? Um, you know, still keep maintaining the same coverage structure behind it. So I, I think that's the path forward. Am I super pumped about that? Not especially. <laughs> you know, but if that's, if I'm carrying close right now, what I'm not doing is saying, you know what, we're going to be a quarters team from here on right. out. We're just going to, we're just going to play, you know, that Chris Ash defense that I was a, the cornerbacks coach on, Seven years ago, that's what we're going to be all of a sudden. No, that's that's going to be just that's going to be a whole different bag of problems. So uh, I, I think you say this is who we are, which clearly they they put their line in the sand. This is who we're going to be at least this season, um, and, and you know, be the best team, of best version of that team as you can be. Now, the other question, and and it's too soon for, too soon for this, but you you do have to start. You know, it is fair to say like, what does this team want to be down the road? is Kerry Combs the right guy to lead that we, you know, that's probably a discussion we'll have in months from now. 
I would I, imagine. One, one of the things that kind of has blown my mind, you got me thinking about this, talking about pressure. Uh, we haven't seen a lot of it, for one thing. Uh, but two, the other thing, going into the season, if you, I, I was worried about the defense, but I was worried about quarterbacks carving up the defensive backfield. And instead, it's been death by running back for the most part. You've had two guys now pushing 200 yards uh, in in back-to-back weeks. I think they were both in the, what, 180, 180 mm-hmm. some yards for both the running backs on these uh, these last two games. Just just maddening. Is, is, are the issues we've already talked about the reason that, that these guys are running hog wild or are we not seeing the push out of the defensive linemen that I might have expected otherwise given – the otherworldly success Larry Johnson has had coaching up the the big eaters up front. Well, I, I do think it's fair to say that there's two things at play from my perspective. One, these are two good offensive lines. They're big, strong, talented, well-coached offensive line, both Minnesota and Oregon. These might be the two best offensive lines Ohio State plays in the regular season. No kid, no, no joke there. Like it's, it's probably, unless somehow, you know, with they, they face Iowa in the, in the big 10 title game. These are going to be the best two teams they play in uh, from an offensive line perspective. So credit where credit's due to those guys. Um, you know, they're not all slouches there, but part of that's also the scheme from an offensive standpoint. And that's why I say Joe Moorhead did a great job. You didn't see Anthony Brown dropping back. You know, I think his only pass that he completed over 20 yards downfield was a fade that he threw off a three-step drop. So you know, it could be Chase Young, both Bosa brothers, and Jesus rushing the passer. <laughs> and they're not getting them. like it's you, the ball's out. And and that's done to negate a good pass rush. And, and it's one of those things that every good football team knows. You know, every, any coach worth his salt is gonna say, All right, you're gonna you're gonna bring those guys and you're sending them. Well, I'm just gonna spray the ball outside and, and make plays out there. And that's really what they did. Now, you know, everyone says, Well, it's uh, up to the defensive line to, to make plays and you know, in the run game, and there is an element here that hasn't gotten much play, and that's really the, the lack of a true nose tackle on this roster. Um, Haskell Garrett played it week one. Haskell Garrett's not a, a nose, it's just not his style. You know, he played actually a lot of the other defensive tackles, but the three technique in the second half because it was so evident. What he wants to do is he wants to penetrate. He wants to slip a block. I want to blow up the guard. I want to push him in the backfield, and I want to get in the backfield and make a play myself. That's not what a nose tackle is. A nose tackle is absorbing two blocks, trying to control two blockers to keep the middle linebacker free. And that's completely counterintuitive to what Haskell Garrett's good at. Not only what he clearly wants to, but what he's just simply good at. And so finding that nose tackle, whether it's Antoine Jackson, um, you know, Jerron Cage, you know, is it somebody else? Is there a young guy that hasn't really seen much of the field who maybe in the next few weeks can get some reps and, and, and really stand out there because that's going to help with the run D too is, you know, if the DNs aren't, you know, these all these five-star defensive ends, if they're not able to get to the quarterback in time, uh, you know, then you've got to be able to at least plug up the middle of the run game. And, you know, the thing I laughed about is the first first comment on my piece today, you know, in the film study was, you know, uh, Tommy Eichenberg is tough Portland 2.0. Buddy, I would kill to have tough Portland on this defense right now. <laughs> I mean, they, they, if I'm Ohio State, I got to be thinking, what do I got to do to get another tough four? And I know Ohio State fans don't want to think that because they think of Devontae The Smith. ultimate taboo. Right. <laughs> to <laughs> but, say that. You know, this is a guy, he was in the right places. You need those guys just to plug up the middle and, and say, fine, if you're, if, 
we're going to take away the run and make you throw outside. And we're going to make all the rest of the guys around us feel like, Hey, I can go play downhill outside the hash marks. Cause I've got my middle linebacker who I know if they just try to run in the middle, he and my nose tackle are going to plug that up and make a play. Mm. So it, it instills confidence in the other guys. And you saw a unit on Saturday and it's not to say they don't care for each other and the brotherhood and that, none of that, but there wasn't a lot of trust there. There wasn't cohesion. There wasn't chemistry. You, you saw that. You saw how frustrated the third time they call that, that crack sweep and Taraja Mitchell got crack blocked and no one touched the running back, how upset he was. You know, he was looking at his teammates jumping up and down saying, come on guys. So that's not a unit right now. That's got a lot of chemistry. I, I think that you've highlighted another question that uh, I've been pondering is, is Kerry Combs taken bullets uh, understandably. So given that, Hey, he's the man at the top of that pyramid, but is he taken bullets that uh, maybe out Washington ought to, ought to be picking up a couple strays there too. I, I think everybody with defensive staff has got a, you know, answer for this. Kerry's obviously the number one guy. He's the one calling the plays. And so he's the one, you know, when we really talk about a schematic standpoint, uh, what is it going to look like from a game planning standpoint, he's got to be the one that uh, really sets the tone and says, this is what we're going to take away today. This is what our game plan is this week. This is what we're going to stop. Um, you know, I wouldn't say any unit outside of maybe the cornerbacks had a good day. So Matt Barnes can feel good about it. Um, but yeah, Al Washington, Larry Johnson's going to, you know, the, the, there was some undisciplined play, like I said, from Haskell Garrett and some others, you know, not necessarily maintaining gap integrity, which is, I know getting really technical here, but essentially, you know, are you freelancing or are you doing the job that you were assigned? Uh, it, and there was some of that from the defensive line, especially uh, after they you know, gave up a couple scores and got frustrated. So yeah, I mean, Al might deserve some, you know, he, he deserves some criticism and, and all of you, but it, it really goes to Karen Combs and, and ultimately, of course, Ryan Day, because, you know, Buck stops there. And it's his scheme. I mean, he's been the one that set the tone from the get-go that this is the scheme they're going to play. It, exactly. does, it, does it matter that Kerry Combs isn't in the press box? I've seen a number of uh, the same folks who are experts in single-high coverage also are, are <laughs> very concerned about where the defensive coordinator is on the field. Like, how big of an issue is that when you see a coordinator on the field versus eye in the sky? I mean, that's so individual to each play caller. I, I don't know how you can say Kerry Combs is going to be better one way or the other. Um, you know, the every we, we see it all, uh, all different types of, uh, of combinations there. Um, you know, I, I think he's got to have trust for what he's seeing from his guys above. I think that may be more of it than anything. So if he's not the one sitting up there, who is? Is that is that Matt Barnes? Is it somebody else? And if so... What are they telling him? What information are they feeding him? And I think that's a, a fair question. I, I think there's another question that we haven't really talked about here, which is Ohio State had a chance to add a 10th assistant coach this past year. Um, and they hired a special teams coordinator. You know, they had a chance to add someone else to that group defensively. And they chose not to as a squad. Now, I know Parker Fleming does other things beyond just coordinating the picking game, but you know, that was a chance for that for, at Ohio State as a program. And it goes a little bit to the point, Johnny, you brought up earlier, I'm sorry, Andy, about the small army of resources. You know, this shouldn't be a, a, an issue of we don't have the salary to go out and get a guy. This is Ohio State, mind you. And, you know, you should be able to say, if I want to go get this guy to help coach my secondary, go pay him. Go get him. 
Well, hopefully that's, <laughs> you know, I guess what I'm saying, and this is my biggest thing, is that Ohio State's all about accountability, right? And who is going to take the blame and when I, there's not a whole lot of like hemming and hawing about whether to do something or not. And I feel like, I have to feel like Ohio State, Ryan Day, Kerry Combs, whoever, they, obviously they see the problem and they want to try to fix it. Um, but I, I guess, was most surprised by the idea that, as you just said, you had opportunities to do this, right? You had opportunities to change things, to hire people, all this other stuff. The lack of momentum, the lack of inertia to get something done is something that kind of surprised me. And maybe, I don't know, maybe the offense can paper over that sometimes where you, you know, you win these games by 21 points, but you gave up, you know, 28 or something like that. And you're like, okay, well then everything's fine. And it's not because then you get in a situation like this and, you know, you have a, you have a quarterback throw for almost 500 yards and you still lose the game. Um, which is my, like, that is a mind boggling performance and side note, anybody who's going like, well, if only CJ Stroud had been a little bit better, (laughs) they would have won. And I'm like, what are you talking? Are you hello? What? That was not an uncommon refrain. It wasn't. (laughs) And Ohio State gives up 505 yards of offense. And people are like, man, CJ Stroud missed a couple of those bombs. Could have gotten a more touchdown. Like, what are you talking about? So it, it, yeah. to me, it really is like, how does the staff focus on what's necessary and what's needed? And I know they will because that the standards are so high at Ohio State. But mm-hmm. to me, it's going to be fascinating what they choose to focus on, especially yeah. because of what they haven't focused on leading up to this. Yeah, it's a, it's a great point. And I think to the point of the lack of inertia is a great, a great call out because you know I, I was critical of Kerry Combs. You guys know this last season when you know it was essentially – the diet version of the one we'd seen the year before of the defense we'd seen the year before. And there didn't seem to be a lot of changes. And then, you know, I think the more we learned about what last season was actually like for players and coaches. And, you know, you know, we were all of course sitting at home with, with COVID in place. And, you know, I think we all kind of assumed, Oh, well, they're all going to practice and everything's normal because, you know, we're not there necessarily. And I think when you, when we really started to hear the details of how challenging it was especially when you think about a new coordinator coming in who didn't know a lot of these guys hadn't been there last year. Yeah. I was, I was willing to give Combs a pass on it, frankly, you know, and say, you know what, let's, let's give him an incomplete on this, on this grade and just see what happens next year. And now we're into next year (laughs) and, you know, it doesn't seem as though that we've seen really any difference here. And, and, what 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 blows my mind? I, this is the point Andy brought up: is this is Ohio State? This is the team that you knew was on the schedule. This was the biggest game last year of your schedule. So you really had two off seasons prepared to see Joe Moorhead in the Oregon offense. You had all of last year's film. You had years of Joe Moorhead film, and they looked like they'd never seen this before. The team that that showed up on Saturday for Ohio State, you know, finally in the fourth quarter those players looked a little bit more comfortable. And this is where you can, as a Buckeye fan, feel a little bit more confidence, which is once those guys saw it two, three, four times and, and, you know, Moorhead was out of tricks to pull out of the bag at that point, as any coach would be. Then you started to see some more stops and you started to see that split zone run all of a sudden be less effective. You know, some of the RPOs that had worked so well in the first half weren't as explosive all of a sudden. And, 
And so that's where you start to say, it's not that these guys can't do it, but they need to be given the opportunity. They need to be put in the positions to succeed. And that's just, that's just not what we saw. I want to uh, ask about two, two things as we, as we finish Ohio state beat Clemson like nine months ago, by <laughs> what 21 points. How have they fallen so far so fast? And then, and then I, I want to finish up. We'll talk about the offense, but first, like, I'm just, I'm sitting there, you know, still baffled after all we've talked about that in nine mm-hmm. months time, like same basic scheme coaching, et cetera. Can we talk about the incomplete of, of last year? Cause I, I'm in the same boat. Like I was like, Oh, okay. I'm kind of surprised they didn't do something because there was no question. It wasn't a great defense. I think we mm-hmm. all knew that, but then, you know, okay. COVID is sort of the great equalizer, uh, but, but it's still surprising to me that you take the number two team in the country to the woodshed in a bowl game and a playoff game. No, no nonetheless. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, come back nine months later and it all goes to hell. Uh, yeah, man. I right, let's yeah. put a bow on this I, thing before we move to the offense. Can I guess? <laughs> yeah, I, I think we, well, without going into too much detail, I, I think the Clemson game last year was finally when we first started to see any kind of a change up. You know, we saw a little bit more from a coverage perspective. We saw more pressure, right? More pressure coming from different places. We saw really for the first time last season, um, simulated pressures. And so that is where, you know, you, I'm going to show you a blitz. It looks like six or seven guys are coming, you know, but then we're only going to send four and drop seven in coverage, just like we do, you know, normally. What you don't know as a quarterback or as an offensive lineman, more importantly, is, wait, which four are coming? Which are the ones that I need to block? And that's, that's really the name of the game, you know, from a, you know, both at the college and pro level, that's really where it's going, which is how can I screw up your blocking system by making you think this guy on the left side's coming and in actuality, he's going to drop into a zone and now there's three guys coming from the right. And so, uh, you know, I, I think we saw more of that. It was the most dynamic we'd seen Ohio State's defense. Um, and I think that coupled with, I think, what we all know to be some challenges on Clemson's offensive line kind of all came up at one time. And, and let's also remember Trevor Lawrence threw for 400 yards in that game. So yes, I right. <laughs> State did win by three touchdowns. They also gave up 400 passing yards and, you know, that's just kind of, kind of what happens. And, you know, when, when this, the scheme, when everyone knows and Sark the next week came out and said, Oh, I know what they're doing. I get it. I get what it is. And then they actually came out, Ohio State did, because I know, again, the COVID protocols and the challenges they had after the Sugar Bowl, you know, they were out, you know, some guys were out for that game. Um, you know, they were actually less dynamic. They, they were simplified when they're going up in, against Alabama, playing the best offense, maybe in the history of college football, you bring the, you know, a lesser version of your defense to the game. That's not a great situation to be in. Um, but that's where we all had this hope that, Hey, now we've got a full off season. We've got all year. And frankly, the, the part that blows my mind is this isn't an off season where the coaches were out recruiting either. Mm. You know, this right. is, they, they were, they were sitting at home. They were going to the office or, or you know, the Woody. So how can you be seemingly so unprepared for the team that you knew for two years you're going to play? Sorry. Continuing to beat the dead horse here. 
<laughs> yeah, I I'm 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 with you. Um, let's because we've already taken more of your time than I asked for. I want to I want to finish up with the offense. We've we've mentioned Ohio State's offense and how prolific it was uh, against Oregon and, and against Minnesota as well. So I guess two questions. One, how are you feeling about what you've seen from Ryan Day's team on that side of the ball so far as you've looked at the film? And then two, is this offense good enough to bail the defense out the rest of the way? Um, I don't like saying, um, you know, I'm, I'm buying time here as I say that, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I actually really, enjoy, I, I love what I'm seeing out of CJ Stroud. I was in the first quarter, like everybody else going, wait, what are we seeing here? Is this guy, does he have it? Buddy, he was throwing darts on Saturday. Yeah. I mean, some of those there were I, so I, I had the, the the good fortune of being able to attend in person. And you know, there was there was a throw in the third quarter where he did he he overthrew, he just missed Olave on a deep ball. It was a post over the middle, it was play action. And I the, you know, I was actually sitting in the closed end of the stands, and so was, you know, you're watching from behind, and I could see very clearly, hey, he also had Garrett Wilson open on a crossing route underneath. He didn't have to be so greedy and take he just throw it to Garrett Wilson. He could have 20 yards. Well, he misses misses Chris Olave. And you know, I, I said to my friend who I was sitting with, you know, he's just got to get more consistent with these deep balls. And we, we both agreed and kind of shook our heads. And the next play, he hit Chris Olave down the sideline with a perfectly thrown pass that had about a nine-inch window to hit him on. And he hit it. I, you could not throw this ball any better. And he had a few other passes earlier. You know, he had one to Cade Stover. He had one to uh, Rucker throwing up these throws up the seam where you don't have much space, not only in terms of around the receiver, but getting over defenders, right? You've got to throw that, that ball with the perfect trajectory to, to fit it in there. And he did on countless occasions. So, you know, I, I think the, the element of, of, of JSN Jackson Smith and Jigba over the middle is a huge, huge development for this passing game in the sense where you've got that safety blanket, the way KJ Hill was for so long, right? You know, it's third down. I've got a crosser. Um, it's, it's first down. I just want to take nine easy yards and just get it and keep the chains moving. I've got that so that defenses can't just cheat their safeties over the top to help against Olave and Wilson. Um, I love what we're seeing from the RPO game in terms of those are your best players. Um, you know, in, in, in the round table this week, you, you know, Andy, this was, this was something, a question you and I both answered where people wanted to know what's going on with the young receivers. I don't want to see those young receivers on the field until there's, you know, a, a three score, three score lead. Mm -hmm. Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave might be one of the best players period in college football, much less on Ohio state's roster. Get that guy, the ball, get those guys, the ball as much as you can. And now you've also got, uh, you know, a couple of young running backs who I think are playing very physically, uh, you know, making guys miss. I think they've got a really nice ability to jump cut. That's what I, I love the most about, about their ability in this offense. Uh, that's what Trey Sermon was so good at. So you see them kind of pressing the offensive line in those run games. And then all of a sudden they make a you know jump cut to the outside and explode forward for another four or five yards. That's so, so critical. Um, and then I think just overall to keep, uh, you know, complimenting this, that, that offense, the, I, I was a little worried about seeing the four tackle offensive line. Uh, but big Thanos, Dewan, my God, that dude is just <laughs> moving people. 
They all are. Every one of them. I mean, all four of those guys are just moving people in both phases. Uh, you know, I think the center ish, the center situation, um, Whipler's going to get better. I think as he gets more, more experience, but there are a couple plays on Saturday where he got blown up, blown back a little bit by, uh, the defensive line. And that, that created some issues, um, you know, at times when people thought, oh, the run game's not going, um, I, you know, you could literally see when rewatching the film where Oregon's defensive coordinator, again, had a great game plan said, if you're the nose tackle, your job is to literally just destroy the center. And that's a common, more common technique than I think people realize. And it was destroy the center to free up the middle linebacker to make a tackle. So that, that I think happened a little bit uh, on Saturday, but um, all in all, like to your point, Johnny earlier, if you're worried about Ohio state's offense, man, you are missing the, the forest for the trees. Yeah, absolutely. On, on the question of the running game, you know, let's, let's talk about that for a minute. It, do you, is there more you want to see there or, or is it just a matter of, Hey, as Whipler gets comfortable, gets more, more reps, these things will take care of itself. I, I mean, I feel like you've got a pretty good one-two punch there with uh, Mayan Williams and and uh, the the young Travion Henderson. I mean, those two guys seem pretty electric out of the backfield. I think I was just a little surprised we didn't see more of them, given how well the two of them seem to run. Yeah, I think that was just a, especially in the second half, a, a situation where you're down two scores, your defense isn't getting stops, you have to be aggressive and throw the ball. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my, my guess is if the game was a little bit closer and Ryan Day kind of hinted at this, um, you know, they couldn't control the game, meaning it was a lot more drop back passing, meaning just straight up CJ, take the snap and look downfield versus the set, use the run, set up play action, use RPOs a little bit more, uh, try to catch the, you know, the safeties out of position and, and make CJ's life easier, which to me actually makes the performance that we saw from him that much more impressive. You know, Oregon was kind of expecting every play. Okay, he's going to just going to take the snap and, and look to throw, and, and he was still fitting the ball in tight windows. So, but but to the question about the run game, I, I I wouldn't be or I would be shocked if over these next few weeks we don't see some huge numbers out of the backs. Uh, you know, this is a, a chance to really kind of even out your distribution and make teams go. Oh shoot, we've got to really stop the run. Oh no, I forgot about Chris Olave. Not that that's you know something that actually happens, but happens more, you know, subconsciously happens a little bit more than you realize. And so uh, you know, I, I do expect I'm fascinated to see this Saturday. Uh Tulsa's got a really unique scheme. It's something I wrote about in the offseason. They're gonna line up with three defensive linemen, and they're gonna have four or five guys in the box, and that's it. And Ohio State's gonna go, great, we're licking our chops to run all day. But that's the very same kind of system that we saw Arkansas just beat the doors off of Texas with on Saturday. Um, it's, a, it's a totally different approach to defense than what we see from Ohio State's defense. Um, not to get back into that discussion, but, uh, you know, it's, it's really meant to frustrate you and, and force the ball to the edges and then make the safeties come up and make tackles in space. Uh, and we'll see if, if that's something that can frustrate Ohio State. Um, or could it simply be again, when we talk about the talent, just, you know, disparity here, Ohio state may just say, you know what, we've got 20 some stars across the offensive line and we've got the best tailback, the freshman tailback in the country and another really good one that we love in Mike Williams. And we're just going to blow you backwards. And we're okay with that. We're going to exercise in demons right here. I wouldn't be shocked to see it. <laughs> although I am curious to see, um, if Tulsa has got some interesting things up their sleeves schematically. I'd be okay with that too. 
honestly. I would be fine. Just <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, no, no fancy stuff, just run for 500 yards. That's fine. I'm cool with that. that totally cool. I mean, it's 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 the thing that people had about the, the Big Ten championship game that blew my mind with people, but people's takeaway from that game was ah, Justin Fields didn't look great. Did you see Trey Sermon? Right. Did you <laughs> did you guys miss that? Oh my god. people did. Yeah. But 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 you you have to be able to pass for 400 yards and run for 400 yards in every game or something went and horribly shut wrong. Defense, yeah, yeah, shut yeah. Out the opponent. Right, right. Yeah, pitch the shutout. Very important. Very important. All right, exactly. Kyle Jones. It has been a pleasure, uh, friends. If you have not read the film study, the the post mortem from our own in house coroner dealing with uh, what went wrong with Oregon Saturday, you got to read it. Great film study, Kyle. You are a treasure. Thanks for joining us on the Dubcast. My pleasure to be here, guys. I just love every time we have Kyle on the show. He is a wealth of information, and admittedly, X's and O's are not my long suit. So having having a guru in-house to uh, help me understand what my eyes are seeing, but yet my brain is not prepared to process, uh, man, it's a lot of fun. Johnny, let's get to some, some other news real quick before we uh, head to ask us anything. Not great news for the defense and that safety. Josh Proctor is out for the season. Uh, boy. You know, when it rains, it pours, I guess. Yeah, that's and, rough. Man. Yeah, I, I don't know if the, the word snake bit is is right here or not. I guess time will tell as we go down the, the, the stretch. But it, it feels like the, the defense just can't catch a break right now. Yeah, and the thing is, is that right now, I mean, we, we touched on a lot of stuff with Kyle. But the, the thing is, you want leadership, right? You want somebody who can kind of, you can rely on, be the bell cow and, and, stand up and, and you would think that Proctor could have been one of those guys. And so losing him really, really sucks. And, you know, I, as far as the defense as a whole, I think that they will eventually get things figured out, but it may take a couple more embarrassing performances before they truly do settle on something that they can be successful with. And, and that, that whole process can be expedited if you have players that you can really rely on and look to as leaders and, you know, having a guy like Proctor out, like I said, just it, it hurts that process. Hopefully, um, hopefully they figure it out. I, I feel yeah. I feel super bad for for a guy like Proctor. Uh, he will be like the rest of us watching how this unfolds over the coming weeks from home on Saturdays. Uh, the one piece of good news, I guess, a weird silver lining to Saturday's debacle was that for the second week in a row, quarterback C.J. Stroud was named Big Ten Freshman of the Week Award. You know, honestly, uh, I think if he'd have won that game, he might have been uh, Player of the Week, not just Freshman of the Week. The young gun has been good. And I'm I'm with you. My head exploded watching some of the social media reactions. And people were like, oh, come on, don't you at least want to see the other five stars behind him? And, and, and my response was no. No, in fact, yeah, no, I, do I don't not. care. No, he's, he's passed for like 500 yards. I don't... <laughs> What else do you want from the dude? And, and people are like, okay, well, he missed, he had some overthrows. So everybody's overthrows. Manning <laughs> didn't complete a hundred percent of his passes guys. Yeah. I, I got mean, Tom Brady on my fantasy roster. He threw a pick Sunday. Come on. Like right. it happens. <laughs> yeah. So I don't, in his second start throwing for 484 yards, I just, Helen I is 10th yard throwing for 484 yards. Like I, you know, it's, I, yeah. I was, I was adding those qualifiers too early on and I'm just done with that because he's, he's good. Yeah. He's very good. And he's going to continue to be really good and he will probably get better. And in, in a lot of aspects of his game, but you know, he was throwing bullets and 
the thing is, you know, <laughs> somebody like, well, he's got all these great receivers. Okay, but let's not pretend that other Ohio State quarterbacks haven't had also great receivers around to throw to, including some of the guys currently on the team, right? Like people, Justin Fields, so much better, so much better. Okay, well, he was also throwing to Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson. So I don't, <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't yeah. know that Justin Fields, I don't think Justin Fields ever threw for 484 yards throwing to the exact same people. So, well, and, and you know, when we were talking about this after the Minnesota game, like I was looking at some of the statistics and people were talking about comparing recent Buckeye quarterbacks first starts. And I think like maybe, maybe Haskins was the only guy who had a more prolific first game, but it wasn't against a big 10 team on the road. It was like playing, you know, Florida Atlantic or something in his opening game and through for, you know, 300 some yards. You know, I mean, that's the other thing is like Richard freshman's first two starts have been against legit opponents. Right. I just, you know, normally you'd be playing Akron in your first game and Bowling Green in your second or something along those lines. It's just wild. Speaking of the non-conference schedule, Ohio State opened as a 31-point favorite over Tulsa. And, I mean, that feels about right. I'd heard that it was down to as, as low as 26, which feels probably like a bit of a, just an overreaction to me. I don't think this game will be particularly close. Um, you know, I, I, I know you're not going to go bet on the game, but how did you feel about that line? Did that seem right? Did that seem a little fat after what you saw? Yeah. On I, Saturday? Mean, I, would, I would say that's probably a little bit big, but, um, you know, who knows? They might come out and win by 50. I mean, you really, <laughs> again, the issue is really just with the defense. If they can have some, you know, semblance of a decent game, Ohio state can blow anybody out. It's just, that's the problem. You know, you, you have 600 yards of total offense and you only score 28 points. Well, that means there's something going on on the defensive side where, you know, a lot of clock is being eaten up uh, and keeping your offense off the, off the field. So if they can correct that, they should be able to score a lot of points and win by a lot of points and that'll be great. And we'll all be happy, but you got to get to that point first. As we turn this horse back toward the barn, it is time for Ask Us Anything, my favorite segment of the show each week. I know it is yours as well. Good time to remind you that the Dubcast is brought to you by the Dry Goods Store at 11warriors.com. Hats, shirts, T-shirts, all kinds of shirts, many, many shirts, stickers, fine barware, other knickknacks, tchotchkes, memorabilia items, wonderful things for the discerning fan of the local football team. You can find it all and more and drygoods.11warriors.com. Be there or be square. My friend, what have you for us in the mailbag this week? All right, so let's do uh, some Ask Us Anything real quick, which, by the way, as a reminder, you can send us questions to dubcast at 11warriors.com. And we'll start off this week with a question from Scott, who asks us nothing, because you sent us a uh, an email with the subject line and then no actual content in it. So if you would like wah, to resend wah, that question, Scott, wah. please do that. And uh, we'll get to it. Uh, we do have another actual question from Joe who wants to know uh, what the loss of Oregon. I just love that. I'm laughing because I feel your pain, uh, empty email friend, because. Oh, yeah, I've done it. No, no, I don't no do hate. that. I don't do that. But do you know what I do? At least twice a day, I send an email referencing an attachment and I didn't attach the damn attachment. Oh, yeah. And you get that email back. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't get the attachment. No, you didn't. Because no, like, you do, though, I forgot to send it. Andy, in that situation, you say it's their fault. You say yeah, they screwed yeah, up right. their computer. You must have clicked on something. It's your spam I'll filter. Send it again. And, then, and then you act like all indignant about it. You're like, oh, I guess I'll send it again. 
And then you send it like three times just to make I sure. I get like, those okay, don't emails that back up. from people, you know, that righteously indignant. And I'm like, don't act yeah. like that because I've sent enough non-attached attachments to know I did. This is on you. Right. <laughs> Um, so this one's from Joe who says now with the loss to Oregon combined with how much better the PAC 12 looks early on is now the time for a super conference to be discussed further. <laughs> so does the big 10 need to piggyback onto the, uh, the PAC 12? And I say, yes, 100% big 10 terrible. We need to, we need to raise our profile. Let's, let's do it on with the likes of, uh, what Colorado. I don't know. I forget who's <laughs> in <laughs> Washington. I, uh, Washington State. Geez. Yeah, we need them. We need them. We How need awkward them. was it that Kevin Warren and and the commissioner of the Pac-12, whose last name I have not yet committed to pronouncing correctly, uh, were at the game and, oh, yeah, and really Pac-12 commissioner, you know, quips to the media like, "Well, how do you like the alliance now?" LOL. <laughs> like, you know, right. no, that would have really honked me off. If it wasn't for the fact that, well played, sir, well played. Yeah, I mean, you win, you get to say that stuff. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I I think that's still kind of a pie in the sky thing, but uh, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see in the future. I mean, interesting maybe... times in the Big Twelve too. Like you know, talking oh, about yeah. super conferences, adding some uh, adding some firepower. I I got to give Bowlesby credit because I really thought losing Texas and Oklahoma was the death knell. Uh, nah, you know they he did not live along, and that's the thing. They're not they're not going to just dissolve, right? Like uh, I think eventually, you know, maybe that happens, but. And they they lose some stature because of that. If you want to talk oh, about, oh yeah, yeah I mean, you can't you can't lose Oklahoma and Texas and not and not lose something. But but credit to them for the response. Uh, you know, adding UCF, adding Houston, adding Cincinnati, uh, yeah. and a fourth team that suddenly eludes my mind. It doesn't matter. I, I mean, it was a, it, oh BYU, BYU. Yeah, that was BYU is there. If, those are four actually really good gets. I mean, if it, if you were just looking at it in the context of who they added and not paying attention to who they lost. I mean, that was a good week for the big 12. Yeah, that's not bad. And I, you know, a lot of it is kind of predicated on those teams remaining good. You know, if Luke, Fickle yeah, but look, up, adding Cincinnati and BYU is better than adding Maryland and Rutgers. Yeah. Yes. I would agree with that. I would absolutely agree with that. And, and also more sustainable too, because you know, BYU is going to continue to pull in talent. Cincinnati's got a wealth of talent in that region. Um, Hell, Houston's interesting in both football and basketball. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And yeah, Cincinnati is always interesting at basketball, even when they're terrible. Well, wait, but I mean, Cincinnati and Houston. I mean, like you've added a couple yeah. teams that, I mean, it's not just like, oh, you know, BYU is good at football. And and so we find them interesting, you know, I mean, like there's, there's some dimension to this. It was, yeah, a, I think they did a good job. I would agree with that. Um, okay. So this last one here, this is from a good friend, Alvin, who Alvin. wants to know. After this loss, which young star or stars will need to break out for this team to take it to the next level? I, you know, JD Tuomalo, I, I think is an important guy in part because of how hyped he was. Jack Sawyer got in as well. I, I want to see those guys make an impact. You, you've you've got to have somebody on the defensive side who can draw attention. And I, it's a lot to expect them to come in and be immediately amazing, but I want them to at least make the other you know, offensive line or offense, just sweat a little bit. I, those are the guys I really want to see make some uh, quick impact. Well, and, and, you know, the, I mean, the reality is, is that Ohio state's defensive backfield has got to step in a big way now, step up in a yep. big way now with, with Proctor out. So, right. you know, somebody's going to have to have to step up and, and take that leadership position. I mean, I'm not even just necessarily taking about talking about the position on the field, but it's what you said earlier 
that that leadership role, that experience, you know, somebody's going to have to step up and and take over that. It's a, I mean, that's a huge, that's a huge loss for a defense that was already pretty bad. Maybe, I mean, you know, it's I boy, I don't know. That's that's going to be tough. I I agreed with Jones that the cornerbacks actually look pretty good, mm-hmm. um, relatively speaking. Um, Burke looked great. But, yeah, Burke, f- fantastic. So, uh, yeah, I mean, there's somebody's going to have to step up into that role. So. We'll we'll see what the lineup looks like. I'm really curious to see if they stop playing three dozen guys on defense uh, against Tulsa. Although maybe maybe you continue to use these these kind of uh, you know midday laughers as uh, extended audition tapes for some of these guys till you finally lock down the rotation. I, I don't know. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, so that's that's ask us anything. Thank you so much for sending those in and uh, keep doing it because we'll keep answering them. All right, well, let's finish up with quick cows of uh, top of the page. Ohio State's fourth game of the season uh, set for 7.30, an evening kickout, kickoff. We're going to get a night game, and it's against Akron. What the, yeah. what, what the hell's going on here, John? I don't know. Yeah, zips zips after dark. It's fine. It's, it, I think, you know. I, mean, it, I, be, I get that this is going to be on the Big Ten Network and not, you know, like. Well, <laughs> and, and they've Fox for and years. Prime time, but. No, but that's that's what they're, they're whole you know plan has been for a long time which is to try to get as many games under the lights as possible just because they they believe that that increases viewership and maybe it does and so that's fine and i think it's funny but it'll be an interesting game and and that's you know i'm okay with it ohio state dropped to number nine in the ap poll number 11 in the coaches poll did they drop too far did they get it just right why the hell's ohio state behind clemson talk me through it Clemson's bad. Um, Ohio State, I still think, shouldn't. I don't know. You know what? Fine. I'm okay. Honestly, truthfully, I'm okay with them dropping pretty substantially because they have to prove something on defense that they can stop anybody before they can stop somebody, if that makes sense. If, if you want to compare them to, like, the Clemsons of the world, that's fine. I think Ohio State, obviously, is a better offense than Clemson does. Uh, but that may be moot if Ohio State's defense can allow anybody to score 50 points. So I, you know, I'm okay with it. I, it doesn't bother me, particularly at this point in the season, because I mean, what, what am I thinking about? Like the college football playoff? Like, no, <laughs> it's just, yeah. I mean, the you know, they just it, lost to Oregon. So right. yeah, maybe at the end of the season, if this is something that we're like quibbling about and, and getting pissed about, that's fine. I, that's a conversation. But at this point, drop them to 25. I don't even care. It doesn't really matter because they have to win out anyway. And if they do that, they'll be back in the conversation. So, you know, you know, the comparison has been made to the national championship year. You lose to Virginia tech at home. Yeah. I got to feel pretty, that's different pretty, though. I mean, it was a pretty embarrassing loss early in the season at home to a team you were favored to beat. I, I mean, I, I am not in any way, shape or form looking at this as a playoff team, just given, no, I mean, Alabama, you know, beat him pretty handily. And that wasn't an embarrassing loss to me, by the way. Like I was not embarrassed as a, as an alumnus of the university sure. or fan. Of the well, you had, a, you had a ton of players out because of COVID you lose. Well, well, it, it, I mean, not only that, like Alabama's a worthy opponent. Uh, and as, as Jones alluded to earlier, maybe the best, you know, college team ever assembled, I, you know, that did, that didn't bother me. Um, it, it, in the Clemson win, like that was, I won't say it was as good as a national championship, but like that was some soul cleansing joy in, in my life there. I, I still think this team, this Ohio state team has potential to win the big 10 championship. Um, I am not all that interested in seeing them in the playoff, as long as the defense looks the way 
it did versus Oregon. But I have to ask you this as we kind of wrap this show up, Johnny. Are are we overreacting? This was a one touchdown loss to a top now top five team. Mm-hmm. I mean, no. are we being too hard on this team? Like when no, we're, we're not. We're, I mean, we're acting like you know somebody died. They lost by a touchdown. <laughs> no, to I mean we shouldn't like team. lose our heads about it. But it's it's a terrible. It's a really really bad loss, and it, it is it is proof positive of a lot of the things that people have been worried about with Ohio state for a, several games at this point. And, and you could even argue several seasons at this point. It, it, no, I, I don't think people are overreacting because it's, it's part of a larger issue that, you know, you don't want to become endemic to the program that you, it's not a simple, like one game fix. It's going to require multiple games to try to figure this thing out. So I would much rather people overreact just a little bit, at least in terms of, you know, what it might mean for the program. I don't, I don't think people should be like, you know, cutting off the heads of horses and putting in carry Combs bed or anything like that. But it, it does require, I think a pretty extensive amount of soul searching and that's fine. And it's okay to, to get to that level. Now, on the other hand, you do have to celebrate the things that are going well. And like I said, with CJ Stroud throwing for 484 yards and all that other stuff and 65% of his bat, all that stuff, you know, running game looks pretty decent. You've got these amazing wide receivers. Those are things you can celebrate and be happy about, but the stuff that's not going so well. Yeah. You know, go to DEFCON one and, and do what you got to do. Last thing, last question for you, university of Southern California a school in which I, I, occasionally have expressed interest fired its head coach clay hilton the athletic director said i didn't like what we saw uh you know they lost 46 to 24 so maybe a little worse loss than what uh what ohio state suffered not that much fired by usc on uh on monday how soon before urban meyer's taken uh trips to (laughs) los angeles (laughs) to consider his his future employment all 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 kidding aside you know, begin at your crystal ball. Who's the next hope, coach at USC? I hope they get Fick just because Luke Fickle, because um, Cincinnati uh, and Cincinnati fans losing two, two really good head coaches to LA is just like the funniest thing that could possibly happen. So I really, really hope he ends up going to uh, USC. That would be very funny to me. I would I mean, enjoy that quite a bit. There's a, I mean, the, the list, um, Pete Thamel at Yahoo Sports, his early list James Franklin, uh, Matt Campbell, Bill O'Brien, Luke Fickle, PJ Fleck, Mario Cristobal, Greg Schiano. That's my uh, my reference earlier. To, and and Tony Elliott, uh, or former uh, coaches Chris Peterson and Bob Stoops. You know, Bob Stoops is kind of an interesting one to me. I saw him, you know, on the broadcast Saturday in you know, you know in the studio um, with the gang, and I, I, that cat's really interesting. On one hand, I applaud him for being the rare duck who says I'm going to go out on top. And making it work on the other hand, you know, he's a young guy. Uh, I could see him jumping back in. I don't know that I have a strong opinion as to who ends up there, but I, I think you and I both agree college football is more interesting when USC is good at football. Yeah, I would agree with that. And hopefully they can, you know, figure it out and, and do what they need to do. Cause otherwise it's, it, it is a little less fun and less interesting. So yeah, I'll, I'll be interested to, you know, it'd be cool to see who they decide to pick and, and, what direction they decide to go in. I still say there's a non-zero chance it uh, ends up being urban Frank Meyer. Uh, things aren't going super great in Jacksonville, or, but you know, you know what could be Jim Trestle. How about that? <laughs> 
don't do that to me. That hurts. Me. Don't <laughs> don't do that to me. Okay, it has been a great show, my friend. A pleasure as always. And let's close with this: a a a quote from Wayne Woodrow Hayes, maybe apocryphal for all I know, but Woody once said, "There's nothing that cleanses your soul like getting the hell kicked out of you." And, and by golly, Ohio State ought to have the cleanest soul on planet Earth this week. Thanks for joining us, uh, along with my co-host Johnny Ray Ginner. I'm Andy Vance. This has been the Eleven Dubcast. Have a great week.